According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Was that volume set from Aletheus singing on Monday? Okay. I won't sing this morning. <laughs> Turn to Matthew chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Last week we uh, got a good start on uh, the temptation episode. We have covered all three Gospels actually. Matthew 4, 1 through 11, Mark 1, 12 and 13, very short account in the Gospel of Mark, and Luke 4, 1 through 13. We will primarily be in the Matthew account this morning, but we may still flip to the others. As well as seeing some uh, a very important comment that's given in the Gospel of Luke. And then uh, some follow-up passages in uh, in John. So we'll pretty much be everywhere this morning. <laughs> we'll start with Matthew chapter 4, though. All right. To be here out of fellowship or under human effort would be useless, so let's take time for silent prayer. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this new day that you've set before us. We thank you for the grace that watched over us through the cold night and the grace that woke us up this morning and the grace that provided transportation and finances to be here. Father, we just uh, recognize that day by day and moment by moment, if it were not for your grace, Father, we'd be, well, I don't even want to think where we'd be. So I just thank you for grace and thank you for blessing us abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think. And now, Father, as we study your word, we ask for your hand of blessing once again to open the eyes of our understanding, uh, make clear to us the things that need to be made clear on this day so we can pass our test for the glory of Jesus Christ. And I thank you in his most precious and holy name. Amen. All right, as we have been examining it, the baptism event concluded chapter 3, and then we have the immediate work assignment of dealing with the devil in chapter 4. And uh, chapter 3 ends with verse 17. And uh, chapter 4 then begins with, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do we have the cameras running? Do we know who's walking in that hallway? Okay, just checking. <laughs> All right. Baptism event ends chapter 3. Temptation begins chapter Four. And the process of testing is necessary. And as we have been outlining it for you under point one, after his baptism, Jesus Christ followed the Holy Spirit's leading. It was the Holy Spirit's purpose to allow Jesus to be tempted by the devil. Remember, when the adversary has temptation and the Father allows it, the Father uses it for his purposes, not necessarily for Satan's purposes. Satan obviously has a purpose in mind for testing, for tempting us, and that purpose is to cause us to stumble. That purpose is to cause us to fall into carnality, to exercise negative volition, to depart from the will of God. That's always Satan's purpose in any temptation that he throws our way. But when God allows it, say then God uses it for his purposes, for his glory. And we spent some time to outline the distinction between perazzo and documazzo. And I hope that if uh, you might have pursued that as a word study, and if not, you might have that in the back of your mind to pursue it at a future point of time, because it is a very fruitful study. Now, we spent the time to go into each of the gospel records and to examine the uh, imperatives or to examine the vocabulary that drove him out there in Matthew 4 that he was led. He was led up, in, in some sense even delivered up. The, the concept of being led up, quite similar to the language of being delivered up. Now, at the cross, obviously, Jesus Christ is going to be delivered up. But here he is being led up, and that is the Father is putting him there in that position for testing, for his approval, see, for his approval. Just as when uh, the, uh, the Lord gave permission for Satan to afflict Job. Satan had his desire there, but the Lord had his purpose there. And his purpose there was to, uh, to magnify and to bless Job in ways that he could not have been blessed had he not gone through such testing. The Mark record has the in, uh, present active indicative of ekbalo, to cast out, to drive out, to send out. And, and Christ was literally driven he was driven. And this is uh, 
uh, very strong language, very forceful language, the same language that would be used in terms of casting a demon out of somebody. That Christ, Just as a demon is driven out of a person, here Christ was driven into the wilderness, compelled, as it were. And the language in Mark was, was rather uh, forceful in Mark 1.12 in describing how he was driven into the wilderness. And then the language in Luke, in an imperfect tense, showing the continuous action of it, that he was led around continuously, led, guided, uh, that the Holy Spirit was walking side by side, leading them by the hand, as it were. This is the language that a little child shall lead them. See, so think about a, a little child in the millennium that grabs hold of a lion and, you know, by the mane because he's furry and he's warm and he looks cute. So the little child comes along, a toddler, Zoe's age, saying, grabs a hold of the mane and says, hey, let's go over here and play. All right, a little child shall lead them. Well, this is the idea here, that the Holy Spirit's leading is, in fact, uh, like a child uh, leading a child by the hand and guiding him through the testing that we have in life. Under point two, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights before becoming hungry. His intense spiritual focus produced an unawareness of his physical lack of food. And it's quite interesting the perspective that we have on things when we are heavenly minded as opposed to earthly minded and how it puts other things into priority and how it even puts some things into such a a um, an, a, a viewpoint of insignificance where we can get Paul's mental attitude, for example, where he says, I'm convinced that the uh, you know they're not worthy to be compared. To the eternal weight of glory. Momentary light affliction is not worthy to be compared with the eternal weight of glory. And having a spiritual life priority lined up where it needs to be puts temporal life in a whole new perspective. He, he was not even aware of his physical hunger. Now, was he hungry? Well, clearly, he had a human body that was accustomed to eating. Bodies need food. That's the way they are designed. And yet, it says clearly in both the Matthew account and the Luke account that the it was only after the 40 days that he became hungry. Verse 2 in chapter 4 of Matthew. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Only after that period of time. Only after the fasting period was complete. And then you better believe he was probably quite voracious. <laughs> quite quite hungry. And uh, we'll say some more on that in uh, later studies. Uh, perhaps not in the... Um, Life of Christ series, perhaps, but more so in the Corinthian study when we examine the spiritual priorities in terms of a marriage, husbands and wives, when we get into chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, and, and where their priorities should be. So we'll have some things on that. And then point three where we left off, and really where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today, dealing with these temptations. The tempter made a number of offers, three of which are recorded in Scripture. He made a number of offers, three of which are recorded in Scripture. Now, we have the three that are listed here. It's the same three that are listed in Matthew, that are listed in Luke. The order is a little bit different in Luke, but we'll just take it in the order that we find it here in Matthew. Now, he is called the tempter, ha Perazon, And we want to realize his business all day, every day is to bring about our fall. His business is to bring about our fall. He is the tempter. He is not here to help us. He is not here to do us any favors, to build us up. He is here to tear us down. Keeping in mind when, the, when God designs testing, it is for our growth. It is for our benefit. And that's the principle of dakimadzo as opposed to peirazzo. Peirazzo is always, always geared towards a fall. Every time. Which is why God does not tempt God himself cannot be tempted, he cannot be peirazzoed, and he himself does not tempt anyone. He himself does not peirazzo anyone, alright? So if you want the uh, scripture on that, you find that in James. We had mentioned it last week and it came up again just now, so I thought might as well show you the scripture on that. James 1, 13. And verse 12 says... Um, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved. Once he has been approved. See, God the Father uses the testing process for our approval, for our growth. And we can't grow to higher realms of maturity, to higher realms of growth, until we do persevere under trial. The believer who's not willing to submit to the testing process is a believer who's never going to grow. 
See, and that's only pride that says, well, I don't want to face this test. I don't want to face this test. I don't feel like I should face this test. See, that's pride. Well, who do you think you are? Jesus Christ faced it. Is a disciple above his master? If he faced it, why do you think you have some kind of exemption that you don't, you don't need to face it? Or you uh, somehow are entitled not to face it? That's only pride that says, well, I, I shouldn't have to go through such a thing. Says who? All right. And this comes to the core of what that third temptation is all about when Satan offers him the kingdom without the crown. I mean, the, the crown without the cross. That comes to the very core of this very issue of pride that says, well, you shouldn't have to go through such a thing. You shouldn't have to face such torture. You shouldn't have to face such affliction. You're the son of God. You're the king of glory. Why should you have to suffer? You didn't do anything wrong. You're not a sinner. All right. I'm getting ahead of myself because that's the third temptation there that we'll deal with this morning. But ultimately it comes down to any of us and any temptation we face. Why should I have to face this? I shouldn't have to face this. All right. And maybe it's not even just simply a, a temptation. Maybe it's an aspect of undeserved suffering. Job could have gotten prideful and said, well, I shouldn't have to endure all that. I didn't do anything wrong. Why do I have to lose my kids? I didn't do anything wrong. I was doing everything right. So it may not be temptation. It may be undeserved suffering. But still the principle is if God the Father assigned it, then he has a purpose for putting us through it. And <laughs> if we start to disagree with God, then, well, who's wrong? We are, right? God has the opinion that we should go through it, and we come along in pride and say, well, I don't need that, or I shouldn't have to go through that. So blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, reading from James 1.12. You know what that verse just said? That phrase I just read, to those who loved him? If you're not willing to go through the and endure the trial, well, you must not love the Lord. Right? The Lord has promised reward to those who love him. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's what Christ said. Let no one say when he is tempted, verse 13, I am being tempted by God. Now, this is peirazzo in this. So let no one say when he is peirazzoed. I am being peirazzoed by God. And that's the temptation geared for our fall. For God cannot be tempted by evil. God himself cannot be peirazzoed. And he himself does not peirazzo anyone. Now, he himself does not peirazzo anyone. Now, he may permit it. He may permit Satan to peirazzo you. But every time he does, it is for your approval. It is for your blessing. But each one is peirazzoed when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And it goes on to describe the temptation process and how the temptation is laid out there. And you don't let yourself get carried away with it volitionally every single time. We don't have to. Walk by means of the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's a promise. He has given us the Holy Spirit. Church age believers have resources greater than any believers ever in the old testament or any other time see we have the empowerment of the holy spirit to overpower any sin nature leaning that uh, that might tempt us all right so the tempter made a number of offers three of which are recorded in scripture and the lord answered all three with the deuteronomy quotations deuteronomy 8 3 deuteronomy 6 16 deuteronomy 6 13 and 10 20 those are the passages in the order, I believe, that answer the order in uh, the Matthew account of the temptation. But we know that there was more than that. We know that the, the temptation process lasted all 40 days. That these are the ones at the end of the fasting period. These are the ones at the end of the 40 days where the temptations are not recorded. And we know this from Hebrews. These passages aren't in the uh, printed notes of the slideshow, but... We look at them last week. Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4. Hebrews 2.18 and Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 2.18. Now it's remarkable that this was necessary 
Satan may have tempted the Lord to say, well, this isn't necessary. Why do you have to go through this? The Father says, it is necessary. You do need to go through this. Because Jesus Christ is going to have a high priestly ministry as the apostle and high priest of our confession. And part of his equipping was going through this suffering. Verse 17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. He knows how to intercede. And he can rightly be the substitute. He can rightly be the substitute, knowing full well every sin that was going to be laid upon him. Able to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Chapter 4 and verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Alright? If the double negatives throw you, and we don't like the double negatives as English speakers, then they just cancel them out and phrase it in a positive. Alright? We have a high priest who can sympathize. And he does sympathize with our weakness. Because he is one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. And yet without sin. I think sometimes... This bothers a lot of people because they don't want to think that there was any potential for Christ and his humanity to commit a sin. Now, we know that he didn't, and we know that he rejected all temptation, and he was sinless and perfect when he went to the cross. But some people have a hang-up, even admitting the possibility that Jesus Christ could have exercised negative volition ever. See, now we know that God cannot sin. But he is God and man, undiminished deity and true humanity. And in his humanity, did he have volition? In his humanity, did he have the weaknesses of, of the flesh? Did he have the weaknesses of a human body that would grow hungry, that would grow tired, that would um, have some uh, some hormones raging in his youth and things like that? Did his body have afflictions? You better believe his body had afflictions. And this verse here said he was tempted in all things, even as we are. Even as we are. So if Jesus Christ had an immunity where he couldn't have sinned if he wanted to, then he was never tempted. You follow that? If, if, if you and I somehow have some, kind of humil- have some kind of immunity where we can't sin if we wanted to, well then what, what kind of temptation is a temptation? If I'm not volitionally able to, to fall, if I'm not volitionally able to exercise negative volition, then there's no such thing as temptation. But I'm a volitional creature, and I can exercise negative volition. Therefore, temptation is temptation. So, I think some of these things are areas that we need to work on in terms of understanding what hypostatic union is all about, understanding what the, the uh, humanity of Jesus Christ was all about, and the uh, humility that he had to be tempted in all things, even as we are, and yet without sin. Never once did he exercise volition, even in the mental stage, see, which is where most of our sins take place, because we choose to do it before we do it. We'll talk about that too. All right. Tempted in all things, even as we are. So, the 40 days, we don't have a day-by-day account, a minute-by-minute journal of how those temptations took place. But in the span of those 40 days, everything was covered. Everything was covered. Every temptation that any human being has ever faced was covered during those 40 days. Nothing was accepted so that Jesus Christ can be an intercessor for any condition that we might have. See. And this is where we rely upon the Lord and His intercessory ministry. We rely upon the Holy Spirit and His convicting ministry. I believe that the Word of God is God-breathed and profitable. I believe that it is sufficient for every test, for every conflict, for every problem. And that uh, there's no need to go outside the local church for any other independent counseling or other kind of thing. The Word of God will meet any need. Jesus Christ's intercession will meet any need. There is no uh, circumstance that needs something beyond what the Word of God offers and what God's sovereignty offers in uh, any test that any believer might face. All right. Before we 
I want to hit Deuteronomy at some point. We'll get there. At, let's just take it in turn when we um, get to his answers here in the in the text. So, and let's deal with temptation number one. Some point A. Satan's first recorded temptation. Acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. And I won't go back to that this morning. We uh, broke down for you the four classifications of if and the conditional clauses of the Greek language. Won't review all that this morning. But this is a first class condition. It is true. If and it is true. If and you are. We say, since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, he's been tempting him here for all these 40 days. He's been tempting him with everything imaginable, and nothing's worked. He's tempted him, and we can think of Jesus Christ now. He's armored up, he's suited up, he's uh, fully armored in the full armor of God. He has been fasting for this period of time. He's been in intensive prayer with the Father all this time. And so every temptation hasn't worked. Satan is just as frustrated here as he was frustrated with Job in Job chapter 1, saying, I can't get to him. Every angle I try, he's got this hedge around him and, and nothing's working. All right? But now, 40 days are concluded. This period has now been brought to a close. He now becomes hungry all right, Satan is aware of this. <laughs> he picks up on this right away. This this period of fasting and this period of of prayer, the forty days, the forty nights, it's over. Here now is morning of day forty one. All right, that stomach is grumbling, rumbling and rolling, and Jesus Christ now is you know licking his lips and kind of drooling a little bit, looking around. <laughs> now the devil knows this. And here's temptation number one, pouncing that very moment, that very morning when that hunger begins to manifest. See, can he tempt deity? No, we just read that in James 1. God himself cannot be tempted. But Jesus Christ is God-man. And the humanity can be tempted. And here's the weakness of his flesh. Here's the hunger of his human body. And so here comes temptation number one. Since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written. And that phrase right there we mentioned on Sunday night is a testimony to canonicity. It's a testimony to inspiration. It's a testimony to the authority of Scripture. When he says, it is written, that gives the authority of Scripture. God handed it down. This is his word. It is written. And that's authority. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Satan's first recorded temptation acknowledged Jesus as the Son of God. Subpoint one, the trap was for the Son of God to use his deity for selfish reasons and to allow physical life needs to supersede spiritual life priorities. We want to learn this because these are the same snares that you and I encounter these are the same snares that we have to face. That snare of selfishness, pride. If you do anything for a selfish reason, even if it's the right thing, it's wrong. Teaching, teaching a Bible class, for example, teaching Sunday school. If you're doing it for a selfish reason, it's wrong. You just turned gold, silver, precious stones into wood, hay, stubble like that. Now, you still taught your Sunday school class. The glorious thing is, even though you were carnal, the Word of God will not return void. you got a little student back there filled with the Holy Spirit wanting to learn the Word of God. So you were carnal, but the psalm says, I will cause the wrath of man to praise my name. Even under carnal conditions, God can still be glorified. Selfish reasons. It wasn't time to eat yet. He'd fasted for 40 days, and here he is now on day 41. The father still hadn't provided food. Still hadn't made clear that he was permitted to eat. Certainly had not given him permission to turn stones into bread. Jesus Christ, time and time and time and time again, will say, I did not come of my own initiative. I'm not here to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He does not speak a single message apart from what the father tells him to speak does not do a single miracle apart from what the Father tells him to do and apart from what the Holy Spirit empowers. 
And so this, uh, for him to do so here at this point would be selfishness. Until the father desires for it to be provided, then it's not provided. See? And boy, hang on to that thought when we get into the, uh, as we continue on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 7, we talk about fornication and all the other things there and the premarital temptations. You know, until God provides it, He hasn't provided it. And uh, Jesus Christ is making application of that here in terms of food. The Father hasn't provided it yet. Alright? Selfish reasons. And uh, when it comes to our own personal sin, we can trace every single one of them back to the pride. The pride of selfishness. And to allow for physical life needs to supersede spiritual life priorities. How often do believers get sidetracked? Get our eyes off the Lord because we're so busy looking at temporal life needs, looking at physical life, looking at bios life rather than zoe life. And we're all caught up. The parable of the sower calls this the thorny ground. And we're all caught up in the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and we're, we're going to school and getting our education and pursuing a career and making money and, and raising a family and, you know, storing up food in barns and tearing down the little barns to build bigger barns and we're all we're all caught up in temporal life things and where's the spiritual life priority so the temptation here again is it going to be selfishness are we exalting bios life over zoe life matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness all these things shall be added unto you god knows you need these things he knows you're a human being. He hasn't somehow forgotten that, oh yeah, you're in a physical body still. You need food. <laughs> and God's up there scratching his head saying, man, I forgot to give him food today. Right? God's not like that. He's not like, you know, you got a fish bowl over here and you can't remember. Man, did I feed the fish today? I can't remember. You know? i got to feed that thing. You know, I don't want to overfeed him. If I fed him already, I don't want to feed him a second time. See? <laughs> remember that time we had that fish over here in the... Side kitchen. I think that thing must have gotten fed about 20 times on a Sunday. And then, because <laughs> everybody walked by and said, oh, he needs food. You know, and every church member in the church put food in there. Like the, yeah, I don't know what. Sandy took it home and tried to nurse him back to health. and Never heard the end of that. I imagine he died. Didn't break my heart or anything. But in any event, God is not like an absent-minded Fish owner trying to remember, man, did I feed my child today? He knows we need food. He knows we need clothing. He knows we have these bios life needs. But he also knows that our priority is Zoe, spiritual life, eternal life in Christ. And we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. These other things work themselves out, Matthew 6.33. So there's the trap. Selfish reasons. Am I going to pursue my own selfishness? Am I going to pursue my own desire? What I want to have done? Or am I going to submit to what the Father has done? And until He provides it, there it is. What does James 1 say? Every perfect thing. Every gift bestowed, every good thing and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. So if He hasn't given it, guess what? It's not perfect. It's not good. You don't need it. The psalm says, not one good thing does He withhold from those who love Him. Not one. So don't, uh, see, that's only pride and carnality speaking. It says, well, God, God's being mean. He won't let me have this. Satan tempted Eve the same way, saying, well, God's lying to you. God doesn't want you to eat that fruit. God doesn't want you to become like God. It all comes back down to that selfishness and pride. Point two, the way of escape was for the Son of Man to rely upon the Word of God. The way of escape was for the Son of Man to rely upon the Word of God. Now, every testing has a way of escape. Every single one. For Jesus Christ, the way of escape was for the Son of Man to rely upon the Word of God. All right. We got 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Didn't uh, think to put the Scripture on the slide. I figure everybody knows this one. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But flip over there to 1 Corinthians 10 for the moment. Let's take a look at it. Because the worst thing you can do is get prideful. 
And what happens before verse 13 is verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. If you've got a shred of pride in your heart somewhere that says that, well, you got a handle on things, and says that, uh, yeah, I'm growing along pretty well, my spiritual life's going great, I, uh, <laughs> I've got a little immunity going here against uh, sin and temptation. Guess again. Let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall, that he does not fall. You will fall. The moment that pride says, I'm not going to fall, you just took your armor off. All right? No temptation has overtaken you, and that's perasmos, comes from perazo again, and that's the temptation of our, of our adversary that's seeking our fall. No perasmos temptation has overtaken you. In other words, you're not overwhelmed by it. You're not going to be drowned by it. But such as is human. In the realm of humanity. Every temptation that the devil can throw at you is in the realm of humanity. Seeking to uh, link up with your sin nature, which is again part of your humanity. Seeking to bring about your fall. It's not in the realm of deity. Your resources are in the realm of deity. This passage is trying to point out temptations coming at you in the realm of humanity, but your resources to overcome that are in the realm of deity. You've got the Holy Spirit indwelling you. That's why if you walk by means of the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if you throw off the divine resources and start to handle things with human effort, you know, your willpower or, or whatever other kind of human effort you think you've got, forget it. Because the temptation is hitting you in the realm of humanity. You should be using divine resources to answer them. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted, perazod, beyond that which you are able, but with the perazmas temptation, will provide the way of escape. Now, of all the phrases in the New Testament that I hate the most, it's way of escape. <laughs> Alright? And I hate it. And I hate what the King James did with it. And I hate what the New American Standard did with it. The ekbasis. He will provide the ekbasis. The conclusion. The conclusion. There is an answer. There is a conclusion. But, and maybe it's just me. And if I'm immature in this and I need to grow up and get over it, then I'll, someday the Lord will let me do that. But in my mind, when I have that word escape, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking... Right, I'm thinking parachute, you know, I'm thinking escape hatch. I'm thinking, you know, like sometimes when, when, when a message just really bombs and I, and I just don't want to, don't want to walk off the platform and go out that door, I just want to find the trap door under here somewhere, you know, the escape hatch. Pull a lever and the thing drops and there's a slide that takes me somewhere, alright? When I think way of escape in my thinking, that means get out of your problems, okay? And the sad part is, is that a lot of believers are praying for that. Saying, oh Lord, get me out of my problems. Say, take this away. When in reality, you're in that position because He put you there. <laughs> you're facing that test. You're facing that temptation. You're enduring that undeserved suffering. Whatever it is, you're there because He put you there. And He put you there because of His wisdom. Because once he approves you and you pass that test, then he can put you someplace even greater. But you've got to pass this test first. And you can't get there until you pass here. And so a way of escape is not run away from your problems or get out of it or take them away. Right? The way of escape, the ekbasis, is the conclusion. And the way out is to pass the test and walk out that door in victory. That's the way, of the way of escape, is the conclusion. And so I prefer the rendering of, of conclusion to translate ekbasis. It is the way out, but it is the only way out. It's his way out. See, he designed it. Here's the test. Think of the test as a room. And he puts you in this room, and there's one door that he designed. And that's the way you're going out, and that's in victory. And, and this te the, the, the verse here even gives the purpose clause so that you will be able to endure it. The way of escape is provided so that you will be able to endure it. 
so that you you stay in this room until the conclusion, until he opens that door. Then you go through it. See, he's provided the the door, but it's his uh, it's his good pleasure to decide when he chooses to open that door. <laughs> How long that test is going to last? And you're staring at that door, saying, "Open, open, open! I want out." And he says, "No, nope, no, nope, I'm not going to open that door yet." See, Jesus Christ opens doors that no man can shut, and shuts doors that no man can open. But we uh, we disagree. We say, well, I don't like that test. I'm going to make my own door. I'm going to plow my way through this wall. See, <laughs> some walls are harder to plow through than others. Wayne Bailey's finding that out out here in the in the stucco, trying to put a new door into the ladies' room. And man, that's a wall that was going to stand until the destruction of the earth. That's a thick wall. All right. So the way of escape, the conclusion to this test, the victory was for the Son of Man to rely upon the Word of God. He says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus Christ said, I am going to stay focused on spiritual life, and God the Father will meet the temporal life needs. When He wants me to eat, He will supply the food. The way of escape was for the Son of Man to rely upon the Word of God. Secondly, Subpoint B now under main point three. Subpoint B. Satan's second recorded temptation needed a public setting rather than a private setting. Satan's second recorded temptation needed a public setting rather than a private setting. As we read it. Then the devil took him into the holy city. See, the spirit had driven him out into the wilderness. All of this was the was the uh, the the testing the proving ground the testing procedure here, and the devil said, "No, I need an audience for this one. I need an audience for this one. He'll he'll pass this test just fine by himself, but let's put him in front of a crowd." And sometimes we're the same way. We can pass the test okay by ourselves, but put us in front of other people, and now we get concerned about what. Other people might think of us, so we get concerned about what uh, you know, what people might think, what people might say, or what um, different things. Believers start compromising, so he needs a crowd. The devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, "If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. See, just jump off." See, it's kind of like, well, you've got this immunity thing going, right? You're the son of God. And angels will catch you. You can't die. Throw yourself down. You'll notice he even uses scripture. He will command his angels concerning you. He quotes a scripture there. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's kind of interesting. He he grabs a couple of snippets from the Old Testament, but he leaves out a part, <laughs> a very significant part. If you go back and find the quote, he leaves out a part that talks about treading on serpents. <laughs> I don't think the serpent really liked that part about quoting a verse that talked about treading on serpents. So, yeah, he went ahead and left that part out. <laughs> but he talks about angels bearing you up and, and uh, protection there. Some point one, the trap was for the was for the misapplication. It should say the trap was for the misapplication of the word of God for personal glory. The trap was for the misapplication of the word of God for personal glory. Terrible grammar. I will change that before we print these notes off. The trap was for the misapplication of the Word of God. The trap was for Jesus Christ to misapply the Word of God for personal glory. See, up there on the pinnacle of the temple, for Jesus Christ to come floating down, safe and sound, and as gentle as a parachute, see... For him to come and descend there in front of the temple, what kind of a spectacular arrival would that have been? What kind of big public show would that have been? 
You know, there's a whole lot of uh, rabbis that made a name for themselves at the temple by being wise in the Old Testament, by being knowledgeable in the Scriptures, by being uh, a good teacher or what have you. A lot of rabbis built a lot of reputations for themselves. But you talk about making an entrance. And what kind of reputation would he have had had he made this glorious appearance floating down gently from the pinnacle of the temple, landing in front of all Israel, the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, everybody. Lo and behold, you know, ta-da, here I am. That wasn't the Father's will. As a matter of fact, the Father uh, has, up to this point, had Jesus Christ in some amazing obscurity. Born in a manger, (laughs) you know, Gathered a select group of witnesses to come in and bear witness to the fact and glorify, but not great numbers. Not huge numbers. A few shepherds here, a couple of wise men from the east, and uh, or three if you believe the songs, or however many there were, the wise men that came from the east. And some shepherds, uh, an old guy about to die in the temple, and an old uh, uh, widowed uh, prophetess likewise about to die, see, They're going to be long gone by the time he turns 30 and enters into his public ministry. But he's kept him in some rather obscurity up till now. And when the time comes for him to be manifest and celebrated, that's going to happen. But not yet. To misapply the word of God for personal glory, 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you at the proper time. I think that's what it says. Don't want to misquote it. First Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that, so that, there's the purpose clause, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. If you don't humble yourself, what kind of exaltation do you expect to get? <laughs> How about none? Because he is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. All right. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You start promoting yourself, what are you going to end up with? (laughs) Self-promotion. Ultimately, divine discipline because God's opposed to the proud. But you humble yourself. Allow Him to promote you. There's true promotion. So there's the trap. And He, uh, with this public setting, go ahead, lower yourself on down. Subpoint two, the way of escape was for the Son of Man to walk humbly before the Lord. The way of escape was for the Son of Man to walk humbly before the Lord. Don't promote yourself. The way of escape was for the Son of Man to walk humbly before the Lord. Starts here, but it characterizes his entire life and ministry. We're going to see that just because Satan loses here in these three rounds, and he's you know zero for three, three strikes, and he's out. All right, he doesn't give up. He's already been shut out for forty days. Now he's shut out for these three at bats, but it continues on through the cross itself. Even when he was hanging there. The temptations were being thrown out there. All those voices saying, come down, come down, come down. If you are the Son of God, come down off that cross and we'll worship you. (laughs) Satan didn't want him to hang up there and finish the work. Didn't want him to stay up there and, and be able to declare in victory, it is finished. So all that temptation to come down, come down. What do you think that was about? You think in his humanity he wanted to come down? You think in his humanity he wanted to hang up there even longer? That was a true temptation. We'll talk about some of those things as well. Walk humbly before the Lord. He will exalt you. Point C. Satan's third recorded temptation betrayed his ultimate goal to establish himself as an alternate God and Father. Satan's third recorded temptation betrayed his ultimate goal to establish himself as an alternate God and Father. When he says, bow down and worship me, that speaks volumes right there. What was his fifth I will and the five I wills? I will be like the Most High God. Satan desires and views himself as God, as a God, 
The fact that he shall be like the Most High God. Now here is a created being who had a beginning, who is attempting to ascend to a position equal to the one who has no beginning. And yet in his evil, in his insanity, Ezekiel tells us that he corrupted his wisdom by reason of his splendor. Satan was the wisest being ever created, but it is now corrupted. And so you can think of that in terms of insanity, a corrupted wisdom. He's genius, he's brilliant, but it's twisted, it's perverted, it's, you could say satanic, <laughs> it's diabolical. In his wisdom, perverted. All right. His third recorded temptation betrayed his ultimate goal to establish himself as an alternate God and Father. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Ultimately, that's what all temptation comes down to. When believers decide that rather than obey our Heavenly Father, we're going to submit to a new master. Because you can't serve both. You cannot serve two masters. You, you have to serve the one and, or love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. All right? And so when you're faced with a temptation, you choose, and, and your sin nature says, yeah, I want to do that. And you make the volitional choice to say, I'm going to listen to my sin nature. I'm going to listen to this temptation. You have just voluntarily submitted. Instead of God the Father, you have now chosen another father. The previous father you used to have as an unbeliever. Subpoint one. The trap was to receive the crown without the cross. The trap was to receive the crown without the cross. You don't have to go through all that. You don't have to suffer. I'll give you this glory. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. See, here's an alternate program. God the Father has a plan, but you don't like that plan. <laughs> that plan hurts. That plan includes suffering. That plan is, is wrong. It's just not right. Why would the Father have you do that? That's not right. You know, if God the Father loved you, He wouldn't make you do that. But I'll take care of you. Fall down and worship me. See, the trap was to receive the crown without the cross. The whole idea that, well, God must not love you then. If He loved you, He wouldn't have you go through this test. If he really loved you, then you wouldn't be facing these things you're facing. It's not right that you should face this. You see all this thinking that rolls around, all the temptations that roll around, all of the satanic lies that, throw out, that are thrown out there? Well, this can't be right. Why are you facing all this? You've been faithful. You've been in that Bible church for how long? And you've been learning the Bible and you've been growing and you've given how much money and how much and, and this is the way God treats you and now you, you're going through this? Well, that's not right. How could He reward you that way? And then your little pride gets hurt. And you say, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Look at everything I did for God. How can He treat me this way? See how insipid it is? Is that the right word? What does insipid mean? <laughs> it's just, it's awful. It's deceivious. Is that a word? All right. Let's look at some of these. 1 Peter 1, 6. James 1, 2. I want you to see that these things are not unfair. And these things are not wrong. As a matter of fact, these things are necessary. Necessary. It would be wrong if we didn't have them. 1 Peter 1.6 In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while. Alright, think about now in terms of time. Even though now. You know, when you're outside of space and time, there's no such thing as now. <laughs> but when you're in space and time, now is now. Alright, so within the realm of time, even though now, for a little while, how long is this? If necessary, and it is, you have been distressed by various trials. 
This is called, if necessary, the Christian way of life. And it is necessary, so don't be shocked. So that the proof of your faith, remember, after you have been approved, after you have been approved, this dokimazo, here's the dokime, the proof of your faith, may be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, dokimazo, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. By being tested, by being approved, by growing, by passing the test, you have treasure to throw at Christ's feet. And He's worth it. It is necessary. It is necessary. Satan says, that's not necessary. Here, here's plan B. Here's an alternative. Here's an alternative. And that's the case with every sin you can name. The Father lays out His plan. And Satan says, oh, no, no, no. Here's an alternative plan. Go ahead and steal. Go ahead and lie. Go ahead and commit adultery. Go ahead and fornicate. See, that's not necessary. It's not necessary for you to just... Uh, it's not necessary that you have to get by with the kind of money you make. Are you kidding? Go out and steal. It's not necessary for you to be limited to one spouse. What Are you, are you crazy? Go sleep with whoever you want. See, Satan is always there, ready to put out an alternative plan, an alternative lifestyle. They even use the language of alternative lifestyle. Well, it's just alternative. No. You know what alternative is? Wrong. <laughs> Plain and simple. Because God laid out His design. And this is His design. And so anything that's alternative to what God laid out is wrong, by definition. If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. It is necessary. That's what we face. Again, back to James. James 1, 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, if... Oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't say if. When you encounter various trials. It's a work assignment. It's a joy. I have the privilege of suffering... For Jesus Christ, I have the privilege of being an imitator of Christ. I have a privilege of bearing fruit for His glory. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Until you go through those approval processes, you'll never grow to maturity in Christ, which is what the Father has designed. So it's necessary. Satan's up there saying, oh, it's not necessary. In the case of this temptation for Christ, you don't have to go to the cross. You got to put up with that? Oh no. All right. See, and these these are the snares that that get thrown out for every believer. These are the snares that get thrown out there for pastors, for example. You got to put up with with that. <laughs> they don't pay you enough for that. But come over here. Here's this big money operation. Here's this fun and games thing. Here's this other big entertainment thing. And, and it pays a whole lot more. You want to do that, don't you? See? And First uh, Peter 5 says, No, you shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, voluntarily, not under compulsion, and not for sordid gain. See? Those temptations can be there. All right. Point two, the way of escape was for the Son of Man to remain faithful to God. The way of escape was for the Son of Man to remain faithful to God. Commandment number one. <laughs> right? You got the Ten Commandments. Priority number one, that you shall have no other gods before me. Don't set up any idols. Don't worship them. Don't serve them. Lord your God is a jealous God. You shall worship and serve Him only. That's commandment number one. If you blow that, forget the other you know, nine or the rest of the list or anything else. The Son of Man to remain faithful to God. That's the way of escape. That's the conclusion. Now, in the Luke record, I want you to spot something there. The end of Luke 4, this passage where the period is over here of this testing. 
And it does end. <laughs> and sometimes it just seems like it goes on forever. But it, every, every period of testing does have an ekbasis. It does have an end. All right? And none of us have reached biblical proportions yet. I mean, there's that woman that had the hemorrhage for how many years? And, and Sarah waited 90 years to have a baby. So, I mean, how, how many years are we going to face a test? But now here's uh, the conclusion of this round of testing. And they do come in waves and rounds. And God does give rest. But verse 13 of Luke 4, When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him. And he gave up and never tried ever again. Oh, wait a minute. Say, don't take my word for it. Read. Make sure I'm teaching right. Make sure these verses say what I say they say. He left him until an opportune time. He said, I'll be back. He said, all right, fine. You got your armor on. You passed this. Fine. I'll come back when you got that armor off. See, for you and me. Christ never took his off. But you understand the principle. Until an opportune time. Let's try again. Let's try day by day by day throughout the ministry, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was sweating great drops of blood, when he was trembling, when he was weak, when he said, Father, my soul is troubled to the point of death. And Satan's licking his chops and saying, Aha! That roaring lion says, Wait a minute now. Let's see if we've got an opportunity in here. Or while he's hanging on the cross. After he's been whipped and beaten and scourged. See, tried to kill him. Tried to kill his physical body so he couldn't go to the cross. Now let's see how he obeys. And so think about the provision of food. Were there other times that Christ was hungry during that three and a half years? Of course. Times that he was tired. Think about times that he could have been selfish. You know, go to John 6. And we're almost out of time. But, you know, in John 6, he fed them and they said, well, do it again. Well, why? Why? Didn't they have enough the first time? <laughs> you want more? We're going to head into a gluttony thing? What are we doing? The Father provided the bread. He provided that amount. There it is. Eat it. Be happy. All right? Or how about the uh, public glory? Throwing yourself down from the temple. What do we find in John 7? We find uh, his brothers saying, Hey, the Feast of Booths is coming up. Let's go on up here and make a big splash. In John chapter 7, they said... His brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself desires to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So you know what's going on there? The sons of perdition, I mean the sons of uh, uh, the brood of vipers is, is just repeating that temptation that uh, Satan had given him back in Matthew 4. To throw yourself down. Appear to all Israel. Make a big splash. Come in glory. Christ said, my time is not yet here. But your time is always opportune. And it's the same opportune that we read in Luke 4 where the devil left him for an opportune time. <laughs> Alright. And then the, uh, the idea of the kingdom and the glory and all that. You know how many times the crowd was just going to rush off and make him king? See? And they took hold of him and they were going to make him king? No, nope, not time yet. Jesus Christ is not going to be made king by human effort. He's going to be made king when the Father determines for him to be king. When the Father presents the throne for him to be seated on and not before. So these temptations we see in Matthew 4, they're going to come up again and again and again and again. So if you passed a temptation yesterday, don't automatically assume that you're going to pass it again tomorrow because they're going to come come back again and again and again and again let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls all right that whole temptation about well you don't have to go to the cross just bow down and worship me you don't have to suffer you don't deserve that and uh turn over to matthew 16 and see the next time satan phrases that he uses peter to do it are you familiar with this? Let's close with this. Turn, turn with me to Matthew 16. Because it's the same lie that Christ rejected when He said, I'm not going to bow down and worship you. I'm going to serve God and Him only. It is written. Alright? And here, here it comes again. 
in Matthew 16. And um, in verse 21, he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. You don't have to go to that. You don't have to do that. Not you. You, you don't deserve that. And uh, the Lord knew who he was talking to, didn't he? Because he said, he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> he said, I've heard this music before. I know who's, who's playing this tune. It's not Peter. Remember? We don't struggle against flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers, rulers and authorities. Jesus said, I know where that temptation's coming from. I had victory on that before. I'm going to have victory over here too. Get behind me, Satan. All right. Well, this is the uh, content I am over time so let's uh let's bow for prayer father thank you for these lessons thank you for the encouragement of scripture and this is all very practical we face this this is the this is called life if necessary we encounter various trials and here we are now for a little while and if we live uh 70 years 80 years 100 years it's still just a little while that we encounter these various trials so we consider it joy we look to you to produce the results and we thank you that through it all, Jesus Christ is the one that is exalted and glorified. We get no credit, no glory, because any test we face, we, we have the victory because Christ had the victory and you've supplied the grace. So I thank you in his most precious and holy name. Amen.